Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Good morning, everybody. Really excited to welcome Anthony Gillardi to the Philacrosophy Podcast, the new head coach of Stony Brook Men's Lacrosse. Anthony, welcome aboard. So fired up to have you on. Thanks, Coach. Really appreciate it. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. Um, it's funny. It seems like yesterday that I remember seeing you playing the top 50 game, you know, for the Long Island Empire tryouts back when the empires were a thing. And uh, here you are taking on your first uh, head job. Are you drinking out of a fire hose here or what? Yeah, it's been crazy. It's definitely been exciting. And, and, uh, and I think the biggest thing I've tried to do is really enjoy the process. I think I've been doing this for 15 years and I just, I've wanted to be a head coach for so long. I want to make sure I enjoyed it and try not, you know, it's overwhelming. If you let it to be, get overwhelming, it really can be. So I think I really wanted to take my time and I've been enjoying it. It's been fun. The hardest part's been moving. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Having three kids, that's the toughest part. The coaching, recruiting, that's the season. <laughs> but no the family doubt. is tough. No doubt. And so you got a place all set to go up in uh, Long Island? Yep, pumped up. Actually, it's like two miles away from campus in uh, East Setauket, so I'm pretty excited. Sweet, man. Awesome. Getting back to God's country. Getting back to the island. I never thought it was going to happen. I'm pretty excited, though. Yeah, very cool. Awesome, man. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Well, I know we were just kind of going over it, but um, I, love, I love hearing about uh, people's and coaches, their, their journeys as players and coaches. And maybe you can just uh, bring us along of your mentors along the way and, and some of your great experiences that brought you to where you are now. Yeah. I don't think the biggest thing, obviously growing up in Long Island, we didn't start playing lacrosse till fifth grade, which now is like, no, it's like unheard of. Yeah. But in my town, which produced plenty of college all Americans in Baldwin, New York, that's when everyone started. Uh, so actually I, I had to watch it from my elementary school window was the high school practice field. So those guys started practice. We were still in school and I kind of like fell in love with watching it. Mm. Which, Ball boy. I think I was a ball boy, fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade in the high school team, uh, which was cool. I actually went on some away games, too, which was pretty fun, being a sixth grader on the bus with those guys. So it's a different time. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. Uh, and then kind of growing up playing, I was actually always into football. I was really football, baseball, and lacrosse. So I was actually playing baseball. Even when I was on varsity in high school, I was playing like Babe Ruth baseball. Wow. On the weekend on Saturday nights and Sundays. That's uh, pretty awesome. I loved it. Uh, and then once people started throwing more curveballs, I realized it was time to move on. <laughs> well, I remember you as an incredibly slick, two-handed righty, but very two-handed attackman. Of course, I coached against you um, when I was at Denver and you were at Ohio State. But t- t- talk to us a little bit about your uh, experiences at OSU and with uh, Coach Bresci and his staff. Yeah, Ohio State was great. I think uh, when Coach Bresci, Coach Stoff recruited me, it was – you know, their vision was to build a program. And I thought that was really cool. I was a big, like I said, I love football growing up. So college football was a big piece of something I wanted to be a part of. Uh, getting out there with Coach Bresci and just kind of seeing the program and growing with the kids we had and 
how the recruiting change and the, the support change and obviously our success in 2003-2004 we won the league it was awesome coach Bresci was great I mean his uh he's been a big influence growing up especially in that time and coach Stauffer is probably one of the most in my opinion underrated coaches of all time yeah. I mean Jay Stauffer he was a great goalie at Brown a uh, great goalie but he's also just a, a great leader and mentor in his own way without being a big rah-rah guy he was someone that looking back on it kind of being the complete opposite of myself being very uh over the top energetic and uh vocal yeah. just whenever coach Stoff talked like you always listened and that was one of the things I always remember which was pretty cool and and coach Stewart Dennis Stewart passed away some time ago he became our offense coordinator and he did an unbelievable job coming over from Denison uh teaching us just kind of how to play faster and I think that was kind of something pretty fun back in the time with some of the talent we had yeah, building that program. I mean, our first year, I remember looking at some of the guys on the team. I mean, he's like the Wild West. I mean, some of these guys had no business being Division One players. As Ohio State transitioned, uh, and Coach Bresci kind of stood the course and weeded out the guys mm-hmm. uh, needed to be there, and some of the guys who, who didn't, uh, which was kind of in my journey, kind of helped in those processes of when we took over at Towson, when we took over, obviously moving on to Stony Brook here. Uh, that kind of understanding of you set the standards high, and some guys are going to make it. If they don't. It's time to move on, and the other guys are going to actually exceed it, and that's going to be the guys you win with. I remember, though, Coach Bresci had a pretty darn good recruiting class in that class of 04 and 03. I think Greg Bice was in one of those classes. Yes, yep. Tony Russo. Those guys are a year older than me and redshirted into our class. Oh, that's right. Russo. Huge pickup in our class. I mean, you talk about Greg Bice, probably one of the best defensemen in one of the best leagues, the Great Western Lacrosse League, that doesn't get enough credit. Well, people forget about the Guel. I even know. What about uh, who's the kid um, uh, from Hudson, Ohio, the midi, really athletic? I, I really Andrew Bender. Andrew Bender was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was so athletic. You had uh, a, couple, a couple of really athletic midis in the class of 03 or 04, I recall. Um, but then you, you, finish up, you finish up your tenure there, um, and you ended up going over to coach with Mike Caravana at Denison. Mike was the assistant coach at Brown when I was there in 86 and 87. So I, I got full-on young Mike Caravana. I couldn't imagine what that was like. (laughs) I love the guy, but at the time, I was just like, you know, like, who is this guy? Oh man, such a beauty! But uh, tell me a little bit about uh, about what you learned from him and and um, what an impact he had. Because he had he's a great coach and he's impacted so many lives. I think Coach Caravana to me is one of the best teachers of the game of lacrosse. I mean, he's as Long Island as you get in a town that couldn't be further from Long Island. Even someone who hasn't lived there in 30-something years, I mean, he still feels like he's growing up on the island. It's unbelievable. Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You know what I'm saying? This is what we're going to do. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I got it. I got it. He, uh, he was great. When I came in, you know, obviously 22 years old, I thought I knew everything about coaching. And he's like, all right, Anthony, what are we going to do offensively? And I get up on the board, I draw all this stuff, and I felt great about it. And there's all this stuff we did at Ohio State as a player. And he's like, that's all great, but, like, what do we have to teach the guys to do all that? And I was like, you know, they got to be able to dodge and pop and throw back. He's like, yeah, but if they don't know how to catch and throw and pick up a ground ball, none of that stuff matters. And I remember, like, having, like, just, like, my mind blown, like, geez. And he's like, this is how you actually teach. And he just drew up just like a, a pyramid, like a Coach Wooden pyramid. Like, stick work and fundamentals on the bottom. And, like, what's the next skill you need to be able to run any offense? doesn't matter what you drop here. What's the next skill? And then what's the next skill and the next skill? And I think to me, being, you know, first time really getting into coaching, I was like, wow. You know, that kind of, like, changed how I thought about coaching and really how much it really is a teaching job. 
and then kind of has always been with me on the player development side, uh, installing an offense, installing schemes, installing culture, is understanding. I just go back to that time when Coach C had me on the board, and I felt like the smallest human on earth when this guy just, like, put me on my place, and this is what coaching is. What you think it is is not what it is. And I think that was probably, to this day, something I use more than anything I've ever been around. Uh, and I thank, I'm thankful for that year with him because it was uh, – it was fun. I mean, it was fun to, to see him in action. And the Ohio Wesleyan Denison rivalry yeah. back then was like, I mean, they were chanting his name. Like, they would be saying things. You, I mean, they should be ejected from the game. I was, it was a wild rivalry back then. Which is something I still follow it so closely because I'm so, like, into it still uh, when it's those games. So it's pretty yeah. fun. It's a great experience. So then you went back to OSU um, as second assistant? Second assistant, yep. And you guys had some really good teams. And this was like the height of the Gwill. The height yeah, of the WGWLL was your last year there in 08. You guys ended up going to the tournament, beating Cornell in the first round. You guys had a hell of a team. I mean, you beat the crap out of us twice. And we had a pretty good team. We went to the NCAA tournament in 08, too. But with Delgarno and yeah. uh, Buchanan. Holy Keep on. That's right. Jimmy Green. Jimmy Green was a U19 kid. Yeah. That was a good group. That was great. I agree. That was when you talk about us, Notre Dame and Denver all got in. Yeah. Fun year for that league. Just to have so many good teams. Uh, but coming in that, that year, I mean, you guys took it to us. Actually, it was like a night game, Friday night game. You were flipping all over the place. I remember slides won every face off. You guys were flipping on the outside of the box. We're jumping in. We're sitting in. Uh, that was a wild game. Uh, that was but, six, I think. Yeah, 06 at our place. I remember like the other day. Still, I especially I was coaching the face-off guys that year. And Snides is staring at the ref, winning every face-off. I was like, there's nothing we can do. I don't know anything. Either. Fix this. Uh, I was really unveiled the high offense. Yeah, that was it. I mean, that was, that was fun to watch. You had some good players on that team. Yeah, we had a pretty good, pretty good team that year. And then in 08, you guys – and we forget about Dr. Funk. <laughs> yeah. What a beast he was. He's killing it right now. We had – we had to perform everywhere. He was an unbelievable. Yeah, talk about what the D middies have become now. I mean, he was yeah. physical, tough, athletic, fast, skilled, played box, yeah. went up to yeah. went up to BC. Um, it's amazing that uh, Buchanan is is like starting on attack for the uh, for the chaos right now. When he like literally was playing like 15 years ago, it's crazy, unbelievable. And he the kid just kept getting better every year. He's played the game of lacrosse. I mean, that's a, a kid who's always developed and and just loved the game. I remember when he first came, him and I would be doing some individual stuff, and he probably shot the ball like 10 miles an hour. Yeah. Coming out of it all, I was like, this kid can't shoot, score a single college goal. And we'd be there just feed him balls all day, and he just got better and better and better, and he took it to the next level. So then Bresch made the move to uh, his alma mater, Carolina, and you made the move to Navy and got a chance to coach um, at a military academy. Um, how, what, what kind of experience was that, and what, what, were, what would you kind of take from that? That was a wild experience. I think, obviously, we, we beat Cornell in the quarterfinals. Coach Bresci went to Carolina. Coach Myers got the Ohio State job, and I went to Navy. It was, it was kind of a wild year when you had such a great success, then everyone left. Uh, going to Naval Academy, my wife's actually from Columbus, Ohio, and it was the first time she ever left. Oh, so Annapolis, which is a nice place to take someone the first time. Yeah. No kids. We just got married. Um, and Coach Mead's someone I've known for a long time, and obviously uh, – um, just the respect I have for him and that program and then the uni and the academy was unbelievable. I think just seeing Coach Mead just being an unbelievable leader of men. So about Coach C was just like a, a teaching wizard. Like he just knew how to teach the game. Coach Mead was just an unbelievable leader. 
whether it's we were, we were doing things well or we were struggling, how we led the guys, how we took responsibility and accountability. To me, I remember the first time we had a loss and he just went in and just like took all the blame for it. I was just kind of like blown away when it was like, maybe we didn't shoot the ball well offensively or, and I was just like, wow, that's really what a leader is. Not that Coach Reshi was, it was just like a different level of how he talked to the, to the guys in the team and yeah. what he had from, from his experience at the Naval Academy, even when he was an assistant at West Point kind of made me just realize the great people we have in the armed forces and, and people that are student athletes in those environments is unbelievable. Um, and it was fun coaching those kids when that was like their release was coming to lacrosse. It was pretty cool to see that. We had some good players. Uh, Jeff Leon was this D midi from Massapequa. I mean, he was probably one of the toughest kids to this day I've ever been around. Uh, and he was just jacking kids up and cross checking every day in practice. Like, this is the kind of kids that defend our country. It was pretty cool. It is. Uh, a great experience there. I learned a lot. Coach Ross was our other assistant, Stan Ross, who was in the grill there for a while when he was the head coach. Yeah, yeah those guys getting back on the map. Uh, he was, uh, he's, still is an unbelievable coach. I know he's coaching with the U19 team right now. Uh, he taught me a lot just about continuing to develop and learning about defense and offense. And I go in his office all the time and drew up crazy things on the board. And he'd shoot down every idea I have. Well, defense is going to do this. I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Think on how to defend my, uh, my, responses and answers and thoughts to him which was pretty fun uh battling in his office for a long time i'll tell you what that's like one of the most underrated things uh you know you see all these underrated overrated things underrated is chalkboard battles you know yeah. with, with staffs you know day after day after day and, and and you know like me and torpy we used to get into it man we would just next thing you know we'd be yelling at each other but then we'd be <laughs> like oh I wasn't even talking about that. <laughs> That's a classic ending when you realize you're arguing about something, but you're arguing about two different things. Right. I mean, that, that's what those things were. I think that's where, besides, like, we talk about this all the time, like the 205 camps that we all used to work as assistants. Yeah. Like, your time to kind of, like, cut your teeth and impress other coaches. That, to me, not having that's tough for being a young assistant especially. And then sitting there and just grinding on the whiteboard and drawing stuff up. Nick Myers was great. I mean, me and him would do that all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stan was great because he would just put me in my place with all his experience. Uh, it was fun to watch that. He's like, well, we're going to do this defensively. We're going to have this like, all right, I gotta have a, I'm coming back in here. Give me five minutes to go back in my office, draw some stuff up, and come back at it. Uh, so I think that that's definitely is the development side, which I think some of these assistants and head coaches we still need. And I think the more people you can talk to and the more podcasts and things like this to get the ideas out, the better. Yeah, it's awesome. So being at Navy also, before we move on to Towson there, but um, – it must have been an unbelievable experience just from the perspective of just organization and overall leadership. And, 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 and you know, there's just a lot more – got to be more organized because there's just a lot more hoops you got to jump through, correct? Yeah, and then you have less time. I think that's really the biggest thing is the time. Their time, the midshipman's time is so valuable that it was like how can we really maximize what we can get out of them? Whether we're watching you – know, we're either lifting at lunchtime or watching film at lunchtime and then we're practicing for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours and – and I think that was where you had to, as a staff, make sure you had all your ducks in a row and say, hey, this is what we're going to get out of them. Days when it's during exams, and you could just see, like, their brains were fried. Mm. You know, to kind of adjust. And I think that's, like, we all talk about as coaches, every player is different. I think as those guys, some guys that were really smart, direct admits into the academies, during finals week were a little bit better. Some of those guys that were struggling through prep school to get in, those guys you had to really kind of lay off the gas on during those weeks. So I think that really taught me, how everyone's a little different, whether it's academically, whether it's just in the grind of a day. Yep. Someone's just gas, and you got to talk to them and be able to kind of say, all right, this is what we're going to do to, to maximize you mentally as opposed to just killing you because you, you, you're, you're struggling. 
So then in 2011, you moved to Towson. And by this point in time, you know, you've been coaching for six or seven years and now you get to move on. Were you the first assistant when you got to Towson? I was. Yeah. That's great. So um, what was it like? I mean, I did a podcast with Coach Natalie. I mean, you know, awesome guy, um, kind of a quiet sort of leader in a really good way. But just, you know, once you get him talking, you can talk forever. But tell me about the experiences of, of having him as a guy to learn from. I think he was great. I think going through the process, when I took that job, I was looking at some other, some other jobs. And things that he said to me, which I thought was unbelievable, he's like, I'm looking for someone who wants to be a head coach because you're going to see exactly what it's like to be a first-time head coach. I want someone to bang ideas off of and talk through every scenario that comes up to really prepare him and me for this opportunity. I think that was unique as looked at some other assistant jobs at that time. And, and it was pretty cool for him to be like, hey, I need someone to do this with me mm -hmm. and to do this for me. And I think when I was hiring my staff at Stony Brook, that was one of the things I said to, to the guys I was talking to. I got Coach Brazel over to come over from Hofstra was that same thing. It's like, hey, you want to be a head coach? You're going to see firsthand what it's like, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So when you have this chance, you're prepared. And I think that prepared me for this opportunity, the eight years I was there, being in the meetings, the discipline, the scholarships, the recruiting philosophies, offensively, defensively, riding, clearing, all those things, being able to do that as an assistant. And, and the CEO says, like, the wins and losses are on my record. So no matter what, you're going to be fine. Uh, was pretty unique and fun. And, and Coach Naz is an unbelievable coach and leader. I think that was one of the things that is a little bit more underrated with him is, is everyone knows how much, man, he, was a, he still is a fiery, competitive, unbelievable athlete. But, but how he leads the guys and motivates the guys and really the staff. I think as a coach, especially at that time, I've had a lot of experience. There wasn't a lot of micromanaging. He wasn't like, we didn't meet that much. I think that was some of the things that some of these staff you hear is like, sometimes people just meet because you have to meet. It's like, Everyone knows their job. If you hire good assistants, everyone knows what they have to do, do it. And if we're planning practice or we have to meet about recruiting for once a week or twice a week, what was kind of his philosophy is like, guys got to do their job and you know, it needs to be done. I think that was a lot of fun just to be able to have some freedom and flexibility to kind of attack, especially the offensive stuff with him looking over and not being like hands on and saying, Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. It's this is what we're doing. This is everyone knows the expectations. Let's attack it. And obviously Took over a team that was three and ten or three and eleven the year before, and I remember that first year was just like a battle. And, you know, and I don't know if another person could have led Towson the way he did. Of this is the this is the course. Like and and like there was times I wanted to give in, and it was just like we're just gonna keep going. And that first year was it was one hundred percent the coaches versus the players. We were never together. It was like this is the standard. It's so far from where it was been. We're gonna do this, and it was five a.m. mornings and, and things like that throughout it. I remember talking to my wife who was pre very pregnant at the time. And I was just like, I think we made the wrong decision here. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, you can't say that to me. <laughs> Coach dad's wife was actually pregnant as well. So like we had all these things were similar. Our kids, our first kids were born one day apart in the same hospital. Uh, so it was like, we had all these things that kind of lined up and met him through work in Princeton camps when he was an assistant at Princeton. Uh, in my first ever game for the Long Island Lizards, he covered me with a short stick. That's how good I was. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of cool with all that, all those kind of connections to come through. But I, I think we played each other when I was at Navy, and we scored the most goals, I think, on him that year. And that's how I got the job. And it was just an unbelievable eight years. And I think that was the toughest thing to leave was our relationship because I got treated with such respect. And he did everything for me to make sure I was taken care of. And had everything we needed to be successful. And I think that's the toughest thing when you look at all these jobs is 
when you have it really good, I don't believe the grass is always greener. And I think I, I was smart enough to know that I had a really good situation and it took a really good situation for me to leave. And I think that's when Sony Brook opportunity came up. I remember going right into Coach Nads' office and I said, this is the job I want. Uh, like, what can we do to get it? And he was like, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, he's like, we'll call the AD, we'll send him an email, we'll see who's involved and we'll go. But I think one, that's a credit to a good friend and a great, great boss and mentor. Uh, but two, he knew I wasn't coming in every year. Like, hey, I want to look at this job. I want to look at this yeah. job. You know, it just wasn't our way of doing it because it was so much fun. And the kids we coached was great. And I think, again, Stony Brook kids are very similar. State school kids, under-recruited kids with a little chip on their shoulder. It's the kind of person I was and still am. And I think that's what kind of drew me to Towson and drew me to Stony Brook was coaching those kids are fun. And kids that have something to prove will always be the kids that I'm attracted to. The Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy. Awesome, man. We'll talk a little bit about Stony Brook. So uh, give us, uh, give us the, the update of the things you're uh, really pumped about, some of the new things you're doing. Talk about, you, know, you talked a little bit about your staff, but give us a little rundown on the State of the Union. Yeah, I think number one was making sure I hired a great staff. And I think being an assistant for as long as I was, realized the importance of good, a great staff and a cohesive staff. So I think I was really, uh, obviously, I've been kind of planning to be a head coach. I always had a list of guys I wanted and uh, I was able to hire J.P. Brazel from Hofstra. Again, he was, he was kind of the first choice I wanted of a guy who's had so much experience. He's coached offense. He's coached defense. He's coached the goalies. He's coached the face-off guys. Um, you know, I've known him for a long time. So I wanted somebody in that role who'll tell me when I'm wrong, tell me when I'm crazy, tell me when we need to do things differently. And I think when Coach Naz and I were at Towson, that's what the relationship we had. I can tell him now that we can't do this. You know, this is too much. Or, hey, what do you think about this? And it was never like, oh, my God, you can't tell me a different idea. And so I started really wanted that in, in that first assistant associate head coach spot. Uh, so I was really fortunate to get him. And then I wanted another kind of up and coming coach and Mike Chanachuk. I was able to, to take away from Sacred Heart there and Long Island guy. I was playing great for the, uh, the PLL, for the Whip Snakes. He leads the league in two pointers. So we're going to have a, a very diverse offense with guys shooting some bombs, I think. Uh, uh, he's just a great teacher. I think the more I've, I've learned of Mike, as a coach, the more impressed I've been with him. I think knowing he's a great player and knowing his story and recruiting him in the past, to see how good he's been these first month and a half we've been together, a month, they've been on staff, it's been a lot of fun. Um, the three of us have, have kind of a good thing going. I think that's, we kind of see the game the same way, which I think is really important, but do it a different way. And I think that's also really important. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun getting those guys on board. I think, you know, the first thing that we've, we've done, I know I really put a lot of emphasis on is getting the alums on board. I think when you're at a place like that, which has had a lot of ups and downs and coaches come and go, and I think Coach Nagel did a good job of setting up, getting it rolling there for a while. We had some really good players. But I really wanted to attack the alums. And I talked to our, some of our administrators, like who are the most influential guys we can get on board, who are the guys we need, and just sold the vision of where I think. And I was honest with those guys. I was like, I think we can build a top 10 program at Stony Brook. We have everything we had at Towson. Why can't we do it here? Uh, so getting those alums on board was kind of the task number one because I didn't want to rush in hiring a staff. I didn't want to rush in recruiting just to fill my recruiting class. Yeah. I wanted to make sure we're getting the right staff and the right recruits. 
So I think the alums was the first thing I tackled. And I thought that kind of worked out pretty good looking back on it better than I thought, just kind of reaching out to those guys early in the process because there was no way I was ready to recruit guys or hire a staff those first, you know, two weeks when I was trying to figure everything out. And then just talking to the players. I, I really did a good job, I feel like, we'll find out soon of asking a lot of questions. And I think that's just who I am as a person is, you know, what's everyone's experience in the players wise, you know, equipment, locker room, film situation, kind of just all the different areas, strength and conditioning, getting the players perspective and then getting the you know, our strength and conditioning coaches. What do they think of the program? What do they think of the players? What do they think of what the coaches can do better Our athletic trainers, the administration our academic advisors. So that part was, was a big thing just to kind of get as much information as possible. Because I didn't want to go in and say, this is our plan. We're doing this. It's my way or the highway, and you're out of there. I want to kind of see where we're at. And I think when you're at a place like Towson for so long, I don't really know what was going on or, or there. I know my ideas for what I wanted to do in those areas. So I tried to spend a lot of time talking and, and getting those answers. And it was like, all right, we got to attack the equipment. We need to, you know, negotiate a little bit better with Warrior and Brian, figure out how we can get more gear for the guys. You know, the locker room needs to be fixed up. You know, this is where we need for travel budget. You know, how do we do that? some more outreach for the alums. So that part was kind of cool to kind of see everyone's perspective without saying, all right, at the end of the day, obviously this is the plan. And one of the, probably the best pieces of advice I got was do it the way you want to do it the first time and you'll never regret whatever happens. So it was kind of that thought of don't come in here and listen to everyone and then say, all right, I'm going to do this because this guy said to do it this way. Or he's like, what's your plan? Attack it. But use some of the things you've learned to help you guide it a little bit. Yeah. And that's kind of been fun to, to be able to kind of mix my ideas, the staff's ideas, and how we're going to attack all these areas. And, and the response from the players has been probably better than I could have expected. I'm not going to lie. I mean, they're pretty excited for some change. Yep. No one wants a coach to get let go. I mean, that's just the reality of life. But sometimes change is good for everybody. And the guys are excited for a little bit of new, younger blood to, to kind of attack it a little differently. So I think it's exciting. Yeah, man. Well, you guys also have one of the best facilities as far as stadiums uh, in Division One lacrosse. I mean, Stony Brook Stadium, Seawolf Stadium. What's it called? I forget. Uh, Kenneth, Senator Kenneth P. Laval Stadium. That's right, Laval. And uh, a site, uh, site for quarterfinals quite often, uh, which is awesome. You know, you build that program up, you can have a home game in the quarterfinals, which would be sweet. Uh, nice. And uh, it seats what? Probably like 15,000, 20,000? Like 12,000. They had some more seats. Then the other thing is we got an indoor facility getting built right behind it. Yep. So we have a new indoor facility that's going to open in December. Uh, we have an unbelievable weight room. So I think when you look at the facilities, all the infrastructure is there. I think being an outside coach watching Suffolk County, you know, championship games there in the past, you kind of, oh, it's a really nice stadium. And we're kind of looking at it, you're like, man, this is pretty cool that we get to have this uh, and be able to recruit to this. So it's, we're very fortunate. I know that. Yeah, it's really sick. And then, and, and, and you're in a great conference, you know, I mean, on a lot of levels. I mean, it's a, it's a conference that has sent teams to the Final Four. It's a conference with a lot of really good uh, up-and-coming coaches, too. I mean, when you kind of look at, like, you know, where the turnover has sort of occurred and you've got, you know, up in Vermont, down at UMBC, UMass Lowell, of course, Albany's been the mainstay for a while. Um, there's just a bunch of really good programs, but it's not a really big conference. It's kind of like the Colonial in that sense, that it's like, you know, it can, it can, you, know you can – you can make the tournament at, by winning that championship, but you can be an at-large too. Um, and it uh, gives you flexibility on your schedule. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that was, a, again, when you look at when I talked about earlier, it's like I needed the right, I really wanted the right opportunity because um, I had such a great thing at Towson. So that was a big thing I looked at. You look at some of these jobs that open up in some of these leagues, it's, it's extremely tough mountains to climb. In the Ivy League or, you know, some of those leagues, 
as a, as a program that struggled. I mean, I took over a team that was the American East regular season champs. I mean, that's, I'm the only guy I think who took over a new program that was the regular season champs the year before. <laughs> so I think that was a pretty, pretty appealing, obviously the talents there. But I think when you look at it, it's a great conference. Obviously coach Marr and coach Stevenson are legends of the game of lacrosse. Uh, in my opinion, coaching and coach Stevenson was a hall of famer at Towson as a player as well. Yeah. Um, Binghamton. And then you got coach Moran, coach Fife's, you know, everyone in Binghamton and Hartford. I think it's a, it's a fun league because anyone can win it. Yeah. Obviously he's kind of set the, the standard these last couple of years, but I would agree. It's just like the CAA and being able to say, if you have a really good year, you can get in. And I think if we can beef up our strength of schedule, which to me is, is one of the things that we did at Towson last year, obviously that was unbelievable. It was, it was a grinder at times, but to play, you know, to be a top 10 program, you got to play top 10 teams. And it yeah. gives you a chance to see what it's like to be a top 10 team, as well as then kind of build your schedule so you can get in as an at-large team. So you don't always have to rely on the conference tournament. So I think that's kind of the philosophy that I have and the excitement I have to be able to get into that situation with the great league of coaches and teams and, and uh, kind of comparative universities. I think that's the other piece of it. All the schools are very similar. I think that's pretty cool to have a league like that, just like the CAA for the most part. Right, right. The Philosophy Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register Go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash video right now. Uh, switching gears, let's talk a little bit about um, philosophies. Um, talk to me, uh, talk to us a little bit about what your overall philosophy is for sort of how, how you want to play. And I understand that you got to see what you got, but, um, but we sort of envision what you're hoping this program to be like, you know, give us an, a little bit of an idea of what you envision. Yeah, I think the best thing that's happened in the game has been the shot clock. Again, I think just the ability to kind of speed people up. Again, at Towson, for years, we had really good defensive midfielders, and we played a little bit slower because we wanted to be efficient offensively to rest our defense yeah. and get the opportunity back out there. I think last year, I know at Towson, we played faster, and it was just, it's more fun to coach. It's more fun to play. Uh, volume of shooting's been up. So I, I think that's, to me, something I'm really excited about is be able to play faster. Um, and I think with the guys we have, the two-way middies, and I think UMass has done it, Yale has done it to an extent. It's, it's, I feel like we're built athletically this year to be able to have two-way guys, be able to push transition more, be able to push that early offense, be able to play more two-way guys to trap offensive guys. So I think philosophically, that's where I want to get to. Yeah. I feel like have the athletes – I don't know a ton about them. I think that was one of the things I really wanted to do is, is not judge them based on the past. It's to say, hey, I know some of the guys in the recruiting process watching some games. Last year, I think I only watched them play one game against Hofstra. So to be able to kind of say, hey, this is – what do we have? How are we going to tweak that these first couple of years? But I think moving forward, you know, to play very simple but fast. And I think that's – as me, is really good coaching. So how can we put these guys in the best positions possibly offensively and have them just play – maybe it's one or two offensive looks, and then you have decisions out of it. I think that's where the player development comes in. I think that's where the teaching and coaching really takes – same thing defensively. You don't have to run six different defenses. If you want to run really good defense – as best as you can, and you play fast, you know how to slide and recover, and you're physical on ball, you know how to approach the right way, you can be really good defensively. Same thing offensively. If you play one or two offensive looks, and, and conceptually from the outside it looks different, but internally it's all the same terms and call, you're just doing it out of a different look. It's very simple to play, and it's tough to defend. I think that's where we're going to get to. It really comes down to the player development side. I think it's teaching those guys how to play the game of lacrosse as opposed to 
doing what we asked them to do. Hey, this is, this is a set player. I just don't think that's teaching the game because when it comes down to it, I, and I'm a big believer, and again, this is not mine, but coaches win practice, players got to win the games. So how do we put them in those positions to make decisions and to have a checklist that the defense is going to do something different than we thought? Or So I think that, that's where we're going to get to. And I think a big piece of it, that was one of the things I said to Coach Brazil and Coach Chanichuk, is we're going to be the best staff in the country at developing our players. That's our goal, academically, athletically, and socially. This is what I think it looks like. What do you guys think it looks like? And how can we enhance the plan that kind of we have and I already have going into it? I think those guys were great. I think when I said that, their eyes lit up. And I think that was pretty cool going through that process of hiring is making sure guys kind of believe that, to me, that's a big programs like Towson to be ranked number one in the country. That's why I think you take Stony Brook to becoming a top ten program is, is what you do with the guys you have to make them the best they can possibly be. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, 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 I believe it's your biggest upside, right? Um, your biggest upside is developing your players. Um, and obviously developing a whole person is incredibly important. Um, you know, in the classroom, off the field, on the field. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the lacrosse development piece, if you would. Um, what are some of the things that you think of, let's say, offensively for developing, you know, s- skills such as dodging, shooting, and feeding? Um, you know, do you keep it pretty meat and potatoes? Do you, you know, you've got a cutting edge PLL player that has a lot of stuff in his repertoire. How do you find that balance? I think the biggest thing, the fundamentals will always win games at the end of the day. And I think to me is just like Coach C taught me that first day is like, what's the building glass? I think stick work is breaking down. All right, stick work offensively is what? If you're a midfield, it's being able to pull pass, be able to circle throw back, be able to skip it through, be able to step away and kick it through X. Right? So we got to figure out drills that can really work on those things. Attack, and what is it going to be? It's, you know, step away, feed the crease, hit the adjacent, throw the skips. Right? Getting the 7-7, seven, seven, big circle throw through X. So it's kind of saying if that's the stick work fundamentals, what are drills that we can do to hit that skeleton, mock defense, live defense, uneven drills. So I'm a big believer in that of of breaking it down to that. Same thing shooting-wise. I think fundamental overhand shooting. Do I think every player has to shoot overhand in every situation? No. But I think we have to learn the fundamentals of it. So if you're in that moment, if some guys are just better overhand shooters or more accurate, or some of those things you can take if you are a low to high shooter and Ryan Browns of the world. You still shoot the ball overhand at times as well. I think sometimes everyone only sees the low to high shots, but, you know, those overhands ones going just the same. So I think that's my philosophy. And I think having Coach Chanichick on is understand, like, hey, this is the things we got to attack. What are some of the drills we can do? Uh, and I think that the read and react stuff, like I've said in the past, I'm a big football guy. So I think those are the things that really help develop IQ. If you're an attacker and you're pushing the ball, you get a kick through X and you're pushing right hand at the goal line, are you feeding the crease or are you going to drive up to 7-7 seven seven for a shot? So you have a mock defender in there and you're making that guy make a decision when at the end of the day he doesn't have a defender on him yet. He's just worried on who am I looking at and my eyes are up, my feet in the crease, or if he's covered, does that mean no one's sliding I can try and get the 7-7? Seven seven? Then you add midfielders. Hey, I'm driving off field. Do I feed it to the midi on the wing or do I get the 7-7? Seven seven? Do I throw a skip pass or do I feed the crease? So you're always kind of finding ways to incorporate mock defenders, you know, Skeleton first, then mock defenders, then some like four on three drills where you have the advantage offensively, then four on four, then six on six to kind of build it up. So I think it's that same concept that Coach C taught me. We're just applying it in so many different ways and then putting all the pieces together. So I think having like those individual pieces first when you're really hammering stick work, fundamental shooting, position dodging, position shooting, kind of the different moves that you have. And I'm a big believer. I know like you are, Coach, like, like if we're in this situation, what are three or four things we can do? And then teaching those guys how to be really good in those three and four things, and then teaching them 
when to do each of those three or four things. So mm -hmm. the more you teach them that and then say, all right, now you have to make the decisions with, depending on how the defense is doing. We'll have a mock defender and we'll say, hey, you're going to mix it up. Sometimes you're going to slide. Sometimes you're not going to slide. Well, sometimes the guy on ball is going to trail check so you can S-dodge and dunk it. Sometimes he's going to overplay so you have to circle, attack the middle of the field and roll back. So I think that's the big player development side. I think that's where kind of the lessons that Coach C taught me is really taking really a foot in my player development side as a teacher of the game is, is figuring out offensively what are really important to me as a coach, what are really important to the players that we need them to know, and then how can they execute those in the moment. And I think the more you teach that in practice, the more time you spend on that skill work, the better the players are. Then when they're playing, they're just playing. It's second nature. Are they going to hit a guy who's drifting up the field? Are they going to turn the corner? Are they going to feed the crease? Are they going to skip it through? Because they've done those drills in so many different ways from day one of practice to the end of the year. Totally. Talk to me a little bit about your philosophy on, um, on box across um, as far as, you know, using it as a development tool, uh, recruiting Canadians, um, and just the overall skill set. Are there things that you'd like to try to take and add to your player development as it relates to two-man game and all that? I think box across, when you look at the skill that those guys have, of to me, like the ball movement. I love watching the NLA games just for just a ball movement, whether it's cycling from side to side, whether it's man up. We can have the guys on the pipes, the quick sticks, feeding the tight spot. And I think one of the things that American players are still really struggling with is understanding when someone is covered and when somebody's not covered, especially on the Like if your stick is up and the defender's on your inside, he's open. Throw him the ball to a stick, he'll finish it. We get so, and I think that's where the, the box lacrosse players and the Canadians from a young age understand that guy's open. If my stick is open, I'm open. And being able to get it there. So I think that's something to me that I've tried to teach and learn, understand. Obviously, we've had a lot of American players, whether it's at Towson, obviously the Naval Academy, Ohio State, we've had a couple of Canadians, is how to incorporate that and teach those guys. And I think you can teach that. I think the more you can have defenders kind of showing, is he covering the stick or is he not? Or having a guy on his back or not? And being able to move your stick if you're a guy cutting or understand how to do a twister, how to do some of those kind of shooting and finishing things. So I think that, to me, is something I've continued to develop and learn from watching a ton of NLL stuff. At the LCA convention, those guys, NLL guys do a great talks every last few years. Those live on-field demos have been awesome. Uh, and then the fact that we have a lot of Canadians currently on the roster. Sony Brook in the past has had some of the best Canadians to ever play. Kevin Crowley, Jordan Crowley, those guys have been unbelievable. Yeah. So I think watching them in the past – when I was coaching other things and just being like in awe of those guys and now knowing that those guys are our alums and reaching out to them and how many Canadians we do have on the roster and continue to have that Canadian pipeline to Stony Brook is a huge piece of the puzzle for us. So we'll find ways to incorporate the two-man stuff. And we did a lot of that these last two years at, at Towson, some of the two-man stuff, whether we had a kid, John Luke Chetner, transferred from Richmond. He was really good and kind of teaching me some of those kind of intricacies of how to set up picks, how to do some of those kind of the slips and how to really set the footwork up more than I would have known just from watching it on film. Like I learned just by watching something, but having him teach the footwork to the, to me and the players at times was pretty impressive uh, for a kid to be able to do that. But for me, just to kind of be like taking notes on what's up with one of our players is telling us and then teaching that moving forward has been pretty fun. So I think that's a big piece. I think the more you can get those guys playing in tighter spaces and really the volume of reps, I think that's the fun thing with the shot clock. Like I said, in the field game, as you know, it's even shorter in the box game. So the more you can kind of set those guys. And I think too many teams, in my opinion, love the, hey, we're going to play box because it sounds great. And Coach Myers at Ohio State did a great talk like two or three years ago at the coaches convention of like actually showing that we teach the guys how to play box lacrosse. Yeah. We're not 
you're out there and playing four on four and you're watching, it's like a field game. Guys are taking alley shots. Yeah. Like, it never happens in a box game. Uh, so I think that's where that fine line is in of teaching that piece of it. So you can get some of the defensively. It's just as good as you know for being hands-on, being physical, moving your feet, having the poles play with short sticks. So I think that, that piece is, is a big piece of our philosophy moving forward at Stony Brook is to incorporate that in tighter boxes and playing some of that stuff and having a bunch of Canadian guys on the team. We got one of them going to the Minto Cup right now. Uh, is pretty fun to get that rolling. No doubt. It's amazing because uh, the Canadians in box across, I mean, they do some wild things, but they're also they're, they're incredibly fundamental with the way they move the ball, with the way they catch and throw. With the, you know, they, 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 they can throw it at all angles, but so much of what they do is overhand. Uh, <laughs> highest percentage shot, you know, as far as hitting the shot. Um, right. And um, but you know, then you look at you, you listen to these guys and the way they talk about the game. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna revert back to a couple maybe a month ago when you did an awesome presentation on developing offensive um, IQ in your players. And for everybody listening, you should go watch that if you want to see exactly what Coach Pilardi was talking about with his buildups. But I want to also talk about uh, Tyler Pace did a talk on his own game breakdown, and it was pretty mind-blowing to listen to this guy talk about and articulate what he's doing out there. Because it's like off the charts from a skill perspective. And it just gives you an amazing appreciation for, you know, how fundamental these things are, but also how intricate they are as far as how to set up two-man games and when to fake and why to fake. And, hey, why did you kind of fake that back in? Oh, because I wanted the guy to swipe so I could get my shot off. Or all of the things we're talking about are pretty amazing. It comes down to the fundamentals, too, to your point. I think that's the thing when you have, like, the fundamentals. And, then, and to me, the footwork piece is what – so in those boxing, they're just so great at of how to kind of set their feet up and how to set the pick up and how to why they're doing a certain angle on a pick or when they're going to set up a slip, what are they going to do to have that? Like Brownie talks about that top hand fake to then feed it. Like doing all those things, I think to me as a coach is something I'm just continuing to learn or kind of earn to, to continue to learn how to get better at teaching and incorporating our drills. And I also know some of that stuff that Brownie talked about that coach convention this year with the top hand fakes. And the look back face, and we use those at Towson. We scored a lot of goals doing those things to uh, set the on ball defender up or the freeze the slide guy. And a lot of those things helped in just one year. And now, kind of having that off season to continue to think, how can we implement some of that stuff? And talking to some more Canadians and, and going up and watching some box games, you see some of these things that have been pretty fun to then really get to the base of why are they doing it and what are the different options off of all these things on why they're doing it. So it's, it's guys like Tyler Pace, and those guys are great. And how much they know is pretty fun to hear them talk. It's, it's, I love picking the brain of those guys, man. It's amazing. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your defensive philosophy. I'm a big believer in simplicity. I think offensively, when you play teams that mix it up and gimmick it up, I think it's easy offensively because, one, teams sometimes don't know what they're in at times. Or they are in zone. I mean, I think Towson, we play one defense. And we were really good at one defense. And I think if you could play really good hands, physical defense, whether you have to slide or don't have to slide, I think that's how you can get two-way middies in the game. Like too many times we all coaches say, hey, we want to play two-way middies, we want to do this. And then we have seven different defenses a guy has to know. And then the offensive middie doesn't have enough time in yeah. the, to be able to go seven different defenses. Offensively, what's our checklist if they're going to play zone, if they're going to force to the middle? So I think to me, the more we can be simple and just play fast. You hear all these, I'm a, like I said, I'm a huge college football fan. I listen to all these coaches during their fall camps just talking about we want the guys to play fast. Everyone's pared it down so they can play fast. The spread offense, Chip Kelly and those guys, it's all simple things. 
so their players can play fast. I think that's my kind of underlying philosophy is we want to be simple and really, really good at the simple things so our guys can play really fast. I think defense is that same thing. We're either going to square you up, force you down the alley, and really teach how to approach the ball, when to slide, how to slide, how to play off-ball defense. I think that's something that we all struggle with because in recruiting, all we do is recruit the guys that are really good on ball. Yeah. And those guys that are really good on ball are always on the ball. So I think that's the big things to be able to teach, and that's where some of those drills that we do, ones versus ones, four, you know, four on three on four drills, things like that where the offense has an advantage. The guys have to work a little bit more in a six-on-six type setting with one less guy, so they have to learn how to help out, how to recover back out, how to get out and break down. All the things basketball coaches are great at teaching, the closeouts, the boxouts, those kind of things is what I think defensively we got to be really good at. But I think, again, the more you can be really good fundamentally and be able to play fast, the better you're going to be. That is awesome, man. Uh, the idea of playing fast is just so much fun. And the shot clock era, I mean, my gosh, it's such a better game to watch as a viewer. I mean, I used to spend, I'm sure you did too, at least a third, if not a half the game with a fast forward button on while you're waiting people to, to get through their subs. Um, and so that's huge. Talk to us a little bit about your recruiting philosophy. You know, what, do, what are you trying to bring in? And if you don't mind, maybe dive into sort of um, position by position, kind of what you're looking for. Because um, there's oftentimes, you know, different positions within positions. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is understanding the type of kid that we want. And I think to me, I break it down to three simple things. Kids that are tough mentally and physically, kids that work hard, and kids that love to play lacrosse. And I think if you see that, and you can identify that in the process. You can identify that watching it. So many people worry about who is scoring all the goals as opposed to who are making the plays that then result in all the goals. And, and I think that to me is something I know at Towson we did a really good job of saying, hey, what are, they got, what are we looking for in those? We're looking for guys that are mentally and physically tough. What does that look like? Mental toughness is the kid that makes a mistake that doesn't put his head down, that keeps his head up, turns, gets back in the hole, lays out to get a trail check on during a fast break, or that goes and picks his teammate up after he does that, right? Physical toughness to me is doing the easy thing, right? Doing the right thing, not the easy thing. It's picking up a two-handed ground ball. It's rolling to the outside. Those are the things in the recruiting process I spend a lot of time watching as opposed to everyone knows who the six-foot-three media can get down the alley and blow by somebody right and left those guys don't tend to come to Stony Brooks or, or programs like that. The guys that are 6'3", and that we know we have to teach how to do those things, I'll take those guys all day. Because those are the kids that want to learn and work hard. And I think the work hard piece is kids that develop. Right? And I think that, to me, in this kind of recruiting world that now, obviously, inside the cross, all these recruiting rankings, you can kind of see some of those kids that come in out of high school with all these unbelievable accolades, and they just kind of peak. And we all know kids like that, whether we grew up with or we've recruited. I want the kids that are going to get better in college every year. I think that's when we talk to those kids and you see those kids. Yeah, some of those kids score 70 goals in high school, and they score, you know, the same kind of production at a different level in college. But understand if they're going to work hard, they're going to get better every day. So when they're at practice, and we're doing all this player development stuff, which I say is so important to me, we need guys that want to buy into that, not guys that say, hey, I know how to do all these things right. Yeah. That part's fun in the conversation piece as you're talking to kids and explaining what we're looking for. And I think kids that love to play lacrosse, and these kids play so much lacrosse now. I think it's the kid that on the third day, that third game of that day when it's 97 degrees out, are flying around and celebrating with their teammates and having fun. Those are the kids you want in your locker room. So I think I spend a lot of time kind of finding those three pieces of what we look for as a staff at Stony Brook. Uh, and then kind of positionally, I like to break it down to say, hey, like attack me. We want a righty, a quarterback, and a lefty. How do we kind of go through that? I think if we can build 
a team as opposed to just trying to get the best guys all the time. Because sometimes you end up having five right-handed attackers and you have no lefties or no guys who can quarterback the offense. So I think being able to kind of try and break down recruiting is like, hey, if you're a righty attackman, you're someone who can play in the wing, you're someone who can push the ball and it comes through X, we're going to develop you. I believe guys got to have two hands to be able to push the ball in the perimeter. I think there's also a time and place when you have Canadians. Like we had a kid, Brody McLean, at Towson Canadians, scored 39 goals. And he had a couple of times he drove up right-handed to question mark for his left hand. I think you have to show it a little bit just to keep guys honest, but we can also kind of manipulate how we play or how we rotate offensively based on that. Uh, but I think of being able to have attackmen that can do that. I think quarterback, having guys that have great IQ, and I think guys that can feed, guys that can dodge. They're not, there's only one grand amount out there who's feeding the ball over the place, but I think someone who can lead your offense is more what I, I think we need. So we can say IQ-wise, offensively, this is what we're looking to do, get everybody on the same page. Uh, and then lefties, obviously, you know, the ball always comes back to the left-handed side somehow, some way, some shape, and form. And you have to finish the ball. And I think that's where, you know, understand it. Obviously, I think the Canadian piece is a big one for us. Having Brody last year and Joel Delgarno in the past, those guys are great. And the guys you had, you know, at Denver, I mean, those guys, I think that can finish the ball left-handed is something we're really evaluating and being able to rotate around. I think the same thing in the midfield. I think we're breaking it down specifically the guys who can alley dodge, guys who can wing dodge, guys who could be two-way guys more so, guys that are D-middies. And I think defensive midfield, I know we have – some of the all-time greats at Towson, is a valuable position. I think even with the two-way middies and those things, you need guys that can go in there and just lock people down. Uh, you know, obviously we were fortunate to have Zach Goodrich, the midfielder of the year last year. I mean, he, he would be on everyone's best player, you know, and I think having a guy like that is such a valuable commodity defensively. Paul. And guys that are six foot three, you know, in the recruiting process and long and maybe can't shoot. I mean, Zach has probably more goals in the, in the MLL than he had at Towson last year. <laughs> He says it's all coaching. Every time I talk to him, he's like, it's just all coaching. They don't coach him to shoot, and he scores. I coach him too much to shoot. Uh, so I think that's the fun piece of being able to say, all right, can this guy do this? So you have some diversity in your offense, like I talked about. So you can alley dodge. You can wing dodge. You can do some two-man stuff. I think too many times you bring in so many of the guys that are six foot three and you can run. How many? You don't need a six midfielders like that. <laughs> you I don't think successful offenses have that. I think that's why I think if we can identify – hey, we need guys in these categories, who are the top guys in all those categories, and then trying to get the best available is big. Same thing, I think the long stick midfield position is guys that can pick up the ground ball from Brown. You know, Coach Tiffany had those guys in the final four. I mean, I think with the game being so fast, defensemen who can pick up ground balls and get it to the offensive end are huge. I think those are the guys we're really kind of evaluating more than probably I ever have at Towson because those guys are so big and so key, picking up the ball and getting into your offensive end with more time in the shot clock or being threats offensively uh, has been a big piece of it. And how about goaltenders? Goalies to me are, I mean, I don't have a certain style where I'm like, hey, it has to be this. I like bigger goalies personally because I think there's so many shots now and there's a lot more bad shots, I feel like, than ever before. Yeah. Oh, kid Tyler Canto, when you talk about a player development story, he to Towson from UMass Lowell, and, and we never thought there'd be a day that he would play for us. I mean, his hands were slow. He's kind of big. He, he committed to losing weight, getting his hands faster, doing some boxing stuff. He was one of the best kids, teammates I've ever been around before he even played. He was a big kid, 6'4", 6'5", just long. And the amount of times he just got hit with shots. Yeah. Something that I love. Tyler White, we had a couple of years before that. I mean, those guys are great, but we also had Towson kids like Andrew Scavage who were just smaller but lightning quick hands. Yeah. I think with the shot clock age, I think the bigger goalies fit 
but I think guys that can lead. And I'm not a big believer, personally, Coach Brazel has some different feelings on this stuff. Defensive, that goalies have to lead the defense. I think there's so many things, and the guys are getting so many shots now. I think if they can understand what's going on and communicate, and if you have a defender out there who could be your third defenseman, who is your defensive leader? If you have a guy who can stop the ball a little bit better, but great outlets. And every drill ends with an outlet. And that's something Coach Alvarisi does at Army. I remember talking to him a long time ago about that. We did like a staff talk. And that to me is something I've really spent a lot of time on. If goalie on a one-on-one goalie makes a save, we have an injured guy, we have another line up there that's catching outlet passes to be able to get that early offense. I think that's something I've really tried to evaluate more in the recruiting process of goalies of like, what is their stick work like? Are they looking to get the ball up and out? I think some guys are great at it. Yeah. A skill that you can learn without a doubt, but it's a process. Yeah. I think you can find some of those kids that can make the saves and are really good at getting the ball up and out and making plays is huge. Awesome, man. So uh, give us an idea of when you – you got some prospect days set up yet? Uh, you got dates on that? Well, October 14th is our first one, some Columbus Day. So we're going on a Monday, Columbus Day. We actually scrimmaged the day before up in Providence. We scrimmaged Providence and Yale on Sunday. And then we're going on a Monday, Columbus Day. Well, Island kids are off, which is a big one for us. Uh, so we're kind of excited about that. But even more so, we're excited to start practice. I think that's the toughest part of the summer, as you know, Coach, is like you just want to stop recruiting and just get your hands on the guys you have on the team. Totally. That to me is the most exciting thing. We have our opening barbecue August 23rd on the first team meeting, the 26th. So that, that's way more important to me than the prospect day coming up is finally getting the guys on the team, getting the staff around the guys and their families on that barbecue and kind of really getting this thing kicked off the right way. And I think so school was, starts the, what, the 23rd, 24th? 26th. 26th. Guys moving in. A couple days early. You said you have somebody playing in the Mintoka? Uh, yeah, we do. Mike McCannell, he's playing uh, Orangeville. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm watching, uh, watching my boy play. He plays for the Adnax, so it's gonna be a big. Oh, yeah. uh, it's gonna be a battle. Let's see. Oh, it's gonna be a battle. I mean, I just hope both those teams make it to the final series and we get a good fight. That'd be an unbelievable final, that's for sure. For sure. Well, hey, coach, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. I'm so excited to see what you do up at Stony Brook. Um, your your energy and passion and the way you thought this stuff through and. No, you got 15 years of working your butt off as an assistant. So best of luck as you uh, make the move as, as your first uh, head coaching job. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. This is uh, a lot of fun. I enjoy listening to these things, man. That's for sure. Keep awesome. them. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you. All right. Thanks, Coach. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information.